Hi, this is Mia. And this is Tina. And you're listening to Yeah, No, the podcast about starting a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. Good morning. Hi. How's it going? Uh, it's one of those rough mornings. Yeah. You know, I'm a little um, low energy today, a little foggy. Maybe I lift you up. Yeah, please. You want me to... <laughs> you have a good story? Uh, um, no, that wasn't what I was going to... How I was going to oh, lift you Oh, are you, you going to sing to me? I was just going to, like, you know, dance. <laughs> dance and sing for you. You always lift me up in the studio. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I have been doing lately is meditating. So I guess I just don't understand what meditation's supposed to do. I've been trying to slow down a little bit. I think it helps with that. I think it helps you to let go of things that you can't control. I think I... But how does it do that? Because there's nothing that's telling me how to let go of things that I can't control. I'm just sitting there breathing, right? So it's like like therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy gives you tasks and tools to let things go or whatever. So I guess I just don't understand what meditation is supposed to do. It's a practice. I wouldn't right. say it's a tool yeah. necessarily. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I don't know that much about it either. Yeah. But I do find that if I practice it, it gets easier and I see it impacting other things that yeah. would get under my skin before. Yeah. So they say yoga is a practice, yeah, right? And I which do Which I also do. Right. It's very clear to me the benefit of yoga because I feel like it's a time that you are only thinking about yoga. Right. You feel stronger, more supported after you do yoga for a while. So it's like I can see that whereas like meditation I guess I just don't I'm not quite sure what I would see. Um, well, and maybe it's because I don't, I haven't done it or whatever, but I just, you know, it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like, I don't really understand. You should try it. Right. But I see. feel like I need guidance. I can't like just do yeah. it on well, my own. Well, there's lots of guided medica- medication, <laughs> meditation. Uh, that was a good slip. Uh, you could just take medication. <laughs> That's the easy way. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, I think it, it is hard. I'll let you know if I live longer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be on my deathbed and you're like, I lived longer. Um, yeah. Well, it's a good lead in to what we're talking about today because we're talking about mental health. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting takeaways from this, what we were just talking about, is that physical health is sometimes easy to see, right? There's symptoms that are kind of measurable Yeah. Um, for the most part. I mean, there's definitely, I think, more invisible symptoms. Yeah. There's pain, there's, you know, physical impairments, things like that, right. that are very tangible. And also when you improve, I think, is also very tangible, right? right? When you're feeling stronger or you can walk up a flight of stairs or right. whatever. But what we know from mood or emotions is that it gets cloudy. Yeah. It gets much more difficult to describe and to measure and to know how you're feeling. Yeah. And express it because we don't express feelings very well either. Yeah. And I do think that also a lot of times with feelings, it's it's hard because a lot of people aren't self-aware, which leads me to our story of health.
think this was my first interview. It might, no, it was my second interview, my second interview of the day. And we went to this man's house and he was young, maybe early 30s and just great. I have to say, sometimes male interviews can be challenging to talk about certain mental health challenges. And so I was expecting some, you know, a little bit of of difficulty, but he was really forthcoming, wonderful. One of the big things in an interview is allowing people just some space to talk. So I try to be okay with silences. I try to ask people to further explain things that I'm having a problem with and just allow them to open up. And it was an amazing interview, not only because he was very forthcoming, but because he revealed that he had been molested as a young teenager. I think maybe he was in his tweens. And he had he confessed that he had never told anyone um we were the second people that he told besides his wife, which was incredible. Right. And those are really challenging things to talk about, obviously. And I think that for us, it's it's always important to try to allow people that opportunity to talk about that. And, and, and especially something like mental health, to make somebody comfortable and be able to externalize some of those internal conflicts that they have and express how that affects their daily lives and the things that they have to manage on a daily basis. Yeah, one of the interesting things about that story, I think, is that oftentimes people think that, oh, you just go into an interview and people just will open up for you, right? They're going to you ask the right questions and you're going to get answers that are going to be helpful, right? But I think that there's an importance in building rapport and there's an importance on when do you probe and when do you, you know, when do you go deeper and how do you set the stage in your talking about very difficult subjects so that somebody feels comfortable enough to open up to you. And then that can be also very challenging because they're vulnerable and it brings up a lot of emotion and, you know, but then that's when you get to some really rich findings, I think. You know, I think that in the case of the project, there were oftentimes an event that caused people not to want to address their mental health, right? That it wasn't because I didn't believe in therapy or it wasn't because I didn't know about therapy. It's because there's maybe something there that is was a very difficult personal challenge for me. Yeah. And I think one of the most rewarding things is when people come out of the process and feel that they got something out of it too. And that's just a bonus icing on the cake. It's like pizza on a cake. (laughs) I thought it'd be interesting just to see what the current stats of mental health are. And so from the National Institute of Mental Health, in 2018, nearly one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. Wow. Our expertise has been around chronic disease, around diabetes and cancer and understanding that. And recently, we've started to work in mental health and behavioral health. I just want to lay it up front that I don't think I'm an expert in this area. But I think what we've been seeing is it's so, so, so important. 
Right. I mean, we're not experts in a lot of things. <laughs> but what we thought was really interesting in the small amount of mental health work that we have been doing is that there is such a close corollary to chronic disease. What we keep seeing in the work that we do in chronic disease Uh, which is mostly physical health, is that they're so closely linked. And sometimes, unless you can overcome some of the mental health barriers, you can't get to the physical aspects of it. Right. We've seen it be more separate in terms of your physical health versus your mental or emotional health. And it feels like now, and through all the research that we've done, it's very difficult to separate those sometimes. People do have mental health issues as well as physical health issues that they're dealing with at the same time. And we should just acknowledge that. It makes a ton of sense because you get diagnosed with cancer or you get diagnosed with diabetes. And there are so many things that become challenging for you and a lot more so because now you have this chronic disease to consider. And, you know, we would meet so many people that had diabetes, for example, that they knew they had to eat better or they knew they had to exercise or they knew that they had to test their blood sugars. And um, they didn't. And they beat themselves up about it. They felt bad. They felt guilty. They felt, you know, and, and doctors didn't make them feel any better about it. And that takes a toll on your mental health. Right. A while back, we did a project with a company that provides clinical therapy over the phone, right? right? So a phone kind of service for people with mental health challenges, such as mild depression and anxiety. They also did work around chronic disease like pain and diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then they also did bereavement. And so they kind of had a wide variety. post... um, Postpartum. Postpartum depression. And so they had kind of a range of different... Um, kind of areas in which they worked in, but it was all basically the same service. Yeah. And we conducted some research with people. We talked to, I don't know, lots of lots of people, actually, mm-hmm. um, that were all over that range, right? So what do you think for you, just kind of thinking back to that, what were the key takeaways that we learned from that project? From a process perspective, I think that there's a sensitivity towards doing the research, we had to come up with some methods that would help people talk about topics that are difficult to talk about and also maybe not even on people's radar. It's hard sometimes for people to talk about their cancer diagnosis or their, you know, or their rheumatoid arthritis. Do you think that that's different than than this? It reminds me of when we were first starting out in healthcare and there was still a lot of stigma around things like diabetes or pain or you know things that where people had some stigma where they wanted to keep it private and not necessarily let let on that there was an issue mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that i think we've seen over the years that people have become it's it's become much more in the public eye um, they've tried to reduce the stigma you know through policy and communications and and advocacy so that people feel like they can talk about diabetes in a way where they're not going to get judged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been a lot of training for physicians and, and things like that as well. I think the difference the split for me was talking to people who had been previously diagnosed and treated versus people who had not had an official diagnosis or who had never seen a therapist before. Right. I think those are those are two different areas to tackle because you may have a sense that something's wrong, but 
you may not be ready to admit that you are depressed or you have anxiety. Yeah. So how did how did you talk to them? How did you get around that? What were what were some of the methods? Well, we did cultural probes, which is a method that we've had a lot of success with in chronic disease, which are take-home activities that are self-reflective that allow people to, you know, use things like metaphor and to explore how they're feeling, how what their journey was like. We had to tailor it back because we didn't want to ask them to do too much. Yeah. And there was always this kind of sensitivity towards, you know, trying to open up the conversation about it and not making them sink too deeply into it unless they were willing to do that. Yeah. We've been trained in motivational interviewing, which I think is also a really good technique where it's patient led mm-hmm. conversations where the questions are open ended and there's, you know, techniques like 90 minutes of silence before you respond. 90 seconds. I mean, sorry, 90 <laughs> seconds. That would be a very long. long <laughs> I'm just going to wait here for now. Awkward. Yeah. Awkward. You know, you and I just saw the documentary on Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes was when he wanted to show what silence is like. And so he had an egg timer. Yeah. And it was like a minute of silence it's on so the good. air yeah. in TV. So good. And they're just quiet. For I know. 60 seconds. And his face is just kind of like looking just so calm and just, yeah, it's great. That's the core. I mean, he does motivational interviewing, basically. Yeah. It is about asking questions and allowing somebody else to go within and guide that conversation. Yeah. I heard a very interesting story about a new AI, artificial intelligence method. Okay. There's a company that's building these virtual reality simulations and before you go in, it scans your body and so that it can make an avatar essentially of you in virtual reality. You put on the goggles and when you put on the goggles, you're in an office. Okay. And Sigmund Freud is sitting in front of you. <laughs> With the beard and the glasses and everything. And you're sitting on the couch and you're clearly the patient. And you are meant to ask Freud a a question or talk to him about a challenge that you have, as you would in a therapy session. The story that I heard was a guy who was talking about why he was such a people pleaser. You know, he said, I don't really understand why I have to be such a people pleaser. And the minute you finish that part, it jumps you out of your body and into Freud's body. And you can see yourself (gasps) asking Freud, I don't know why I'm such a people pleaser. And then as Freud, you're meant to respond to this person that's speaking to you. And, you know, you say something like, do you think that that stems from your childhood or whatever? And then the minute you're done with Freud, you go jump back into your body and (laughs) you see Freud and they've adjusted the voice so that it doesn't sound like your voice. And so then Freud will say, do you think that that stems from your childhood? And then you answer. And so you're essentially having this conversation With with yourself. With yourself. So anyway, the whole thing was that you pop in and out of your body and Freud's body and, you know, you, you basically talk through this. And I just thought it was a really interesting way to talk about something that's potentially difficult to talk about, right? And I think it created a self-awareness, you know, in that moment for him of just the way he was behaving and how he was behaving. And if, you know, I don't think it replaces therapy or anything like that, but I do think that we try in the work that we do 
to allow people some space to come to realizations about themselves right? or be more aware of just the things that they do or the way that they behave in certain situations because it's so critical to understanding how they make decisions and, you know, that type of thing. Right. Anyway, so I just thought it was an interesting way to get people to start talking about, you know, things that are really hard, which in mental health, I think that's half the battle. Right. What do you think is the future of design and mental health care? It's pretty fascinating because there's a lot of mental health that's being moved to digital. We see this happening all over healthcare, digital transformation, which is essentially this idea of being able to translate face-to-face interactions into digital. And with mental health, what we see with all these apps that are coming into the fray is that it helps to reduce stigma a lot because you don't have to, quote-unquote, say you're going to therapy, even though you might be going to therapy, or that you can do it at any point in time. It's as easy as sending a text message. We send millions, thousands, billions of text messages a day all over. And also it lowers that barrier of access, right? It's like, as long as I have a smartphone, I'm able to get it. I think that there's some challenges with that because a lot of times what these things require is some sort of accountability. And when the person that you're accountable for is just on your phone and you can kind of ignore them or you can just disengage, then you stop doing it. And I think that that doesn't necessarily get people very far. So is it going to end up where people just go by the wayside of things like starting a new diet? Like, oh, I'm going to start this new diet. And then after a couple months, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, that kind of faded out, you know? Right, right. And is that bad because this is your mental health that we're talking about, right? right? Not just a new app. Right. The other thing is that with mental health and that stigma being reduced is that in the doctor's office, there's a little bit more of addressing that. Doctors are just so used to just focusing on the clinical and they shy away from anything that's really mental health. And the problem is, is that sometimes patients can't get to the thing that they want them to get to, like taking your medication consistently or, you know, refilling your prescription unless they get over the mental health challenge. And so if that's not discussed or addressed in any way, then doctors won't get the clinical outcomes that they specifically want as well. Right. I mean, I think that practitioners probably divide up much the way that we talked about in the beginning which is there's physical doctors, doctors that manage your physical system, and then there's doctors that manage your mental health, right? And that those are two different things. Right. And so they'll refer you to a specialist in mental health. Right. And so I would love to work more in this space and because I feel like you can bend the boundaries a little bit more. And it's such a huge population. I mean, you said one in five. It's big. Right. My hypothesis would be is that if we can address some of those challenges, they might be better at taking care of their chronic diseases that they might have. Right. And if we can help them change the relationship to their disease, then they'll be able to manage that disease better. Right. When we start thinking about looking at patients holistically, it gets more exponentially complicated. Hmm. And I think that, you know, just the reminder that still a simpler approach is better. And that it's really takes a lot of discipline. And we're going to have to figure out how to make it easier for people to manage. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. 
our next episode, we're going to be doing our seasonal check-in. We always like to check in, see where we are, talk about the things that are happening right now for us. And that's going to be anything from things that are happening in our studio to whatever we want to talk about. Whatever our our mental health tells us that we need to talk about. So it stay tuned for like that. might be like a therapy session. Yeah, it always is. I think the whole podcast is a therapy yeah. session for me. I just use it to talk about the things that I you know, feel I have to get off my chest. You're looking awfully Freudian today. Yeah, I know. I've got my beard. <laughs> if you are interested in hearing more Yeah No, feel free to subscribe to us and you can find us at yeahnopodcast.com and on Instagram at yeahnopodcast. And our theme song is written and performed by Chet Smith. And we're back in Brooklyn at Figure 8 Studios with Michael P. Coleman. And this episode was edited and produced by Tori Black. See you next time. Bye.